First, I want to say when I came into Midland, people were like, are you here for Steve's commissioning? And I said, yes, I am. No, I want to be praying for you, Steve. I mean, one of the, the, the things Christ came is to declare the gospel to captives, to set them free. And there's a, a freedom that that ministry is preaching to those, those men and those women. That's so sweet. So let's be praying for them. Are you familiar with this statement? We enjoy and glorify God, embrace his word, and engage his world. You familiar with that phrase? All right. People over here are awesome. I'll just talk to you guys. No. Right, that's the mission of Midland Free Church. And, and if you think about it, it's if, if, if we actually invested our life, if we leaned into this and, and sought to live that mission fully, I mean, pressing against the seams, it would be radical, wouldn't it? It would revolutionize this church, this community, and it would echo all the way out to the ends of the earth. And uh, I love it. I love that statement because it falls right in line with, with Christ has called his church you to do. So whether you are a plumber, a teacher, a chemist, a homemaker, a student, a retiree, and everything else in between, God has given you a calling. And we are called to be good news people in a bad news world. So we're going to look at enjoying, embracing, and engaging. And our text this morning is going to come from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So I encourage you to, to turn to that text. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 11 through 21. Paul writes this letter to this church that has been dealing with some challenges and has been dealing with sin and how to deal with it and, 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 and how to call people to account for it. And so he pens this to them. He says, verse 11, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For we are beside ourselves; It is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because he has... Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, who for their sake died and was raised. For now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, 
who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Lord God, I know that many have come this morning to hear me, and I pray that they would leave hearing you. Because I have nothing to bring, and I have no boast but Christ alone. So Lord, I pray that this morning you would call your people to be faithful to the the blessed occupation you have given all of us, to be ministers of the gospel, ministers of reconciliation. Lord, I pray that this morning you would be honored. I also pray this morning, Lord, that you would already be working in the hearts and minds, drawing them to conviction where they need to be convicted, but also drawing them again to the glorious grace where you make all things new. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So we are called to enjoy God. That's the motivation. We are called to enjoy him. This, this joy, this hope, this, this passion that we have for God is the fuel that spurs the energy or, or, or the engine of ministry. It is the motivation. And in this text, we are given two motivations. And they seem paradoxical because one is fear and the other is love. Paul writes in verse 11... Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. This fear is rooted in something. It's it's rooted in the reality that God knows his heart. He says that a little bit later in that same verse. God God knows what we're about. He knows our motivation. He, He knows why we're really doing these things. And I realize I didn't, I didn't read verse 10, but if you have a Bible, you can look at verse 10. And Paul says that there will one day all people will stand before the Lord and, and will have to give an account for, for what they have done. And so there's, there's fear there. But I want to be sure that you know that this is the same guy who wrote in Romans 8, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So it's not fear of condemnation. What is it then? I think what Paul is trying to drive out is this reality that God is awesome. I'm looking over here because I see Greg and I know he's from the Niagara Falls region. And I don't know if you've ever been to Niagara Falls, but you can get on this boat and it goes right around to the very base of it. And I don't, I don't remember how many gallons, millions, trillions, whatever it is that pours down on it. But it is loud and you are just awed by the power of what's happening and maybe it's just me because i'm a little weird i don't know but i actually wanted to get closer 
I just, I, I wish I could, like, could we get a little bit closer? It was, it was kind of drawing me in. Same thing happens. If you've ever stand at the edge of, like, the Grand Canyon, you are awed at the depths of this and how small you are. But again, I just kind of want to get a little closer. Because it's awesome. There's fear, but, but it's not fear of it's going to hurt me. It's, it's this fear that draws me in. He is seeing the glory of God. He is seeing this sovereign, omnipotent, all-knowing one. And it draws him to God. It compels him to persuade others. That's the the only motivation here. It's not the only thing. The other motivation shows up in in verse 14 where he says, for the love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ, which we see poured out fully by his his death in our place. And we we experience the the grace and the the mercy of God again and again every time we look at Christ and we we look what he has done and we see the glorious resurrection and the hope and, and the joy that we have in that and the love that continues to pour out through those things. You can't help but declare it. Poets write sonnets about their beloved and how their their love stirs them to cross barren wastelands and to scale the the highest mountains because their love is so wonderful. Isn't it amazing how many poets live pretty morbid lives? It doesn't end joyfully. So I'm going to look towards a, a Christian poet to maybe give us some hope here. Isaac Watts penned these lyrics. Love amazing, so divine. Demands my soul, my life, my all. When we see the full love of God, we're just we're drawn. Like I, I have to do it. And the reality is that's how we were created. The things we love, we proclaim. My one son was here. We spent some time living in California. He would proclaim to you the glories of In-N-Out Burger. (laughs) Which I would tell him five guys is far better. Right, we, we proclaim the things we love. We're, we're drawn to it. We want to be by it. We, and, and, and that's the same thing here. When we see the love of Christ, we can't help but be stirred to do something for it. This power, this love, this fear and awe drives us. How do we grow this love in our hearts? How do we grow this awe of God so that we would have this this fuel to, to spur us forward? We open the Bible and we meditate on the word of God. We consider the cross. We think back and we recall the love and the awe of God when it has shown up in other parts of our lives. We say, that's, that's mine. That's my Savior. That's my glorious God. We can't help but let it spill out of us. What would occur in your life if your joy was found 
in the Lord. We're all evangelists. That's how we were created. We evangelize the things we delight in. You can't help but share it. You see in a movie that you you found joy in, what do you do? You keep it to yourself? No, you go and you tell your friends, it's worth spending the 1050 to go see this movie. Or what, well, I don't know how much a movie is in Midland. Or it's worth waiting for it to come on for free on the streaming services. Because to take my whole family is like $200 to go watch a movie. Right? Like when you find joy, it naturally flows out. And since we have a God who is worthy of all praise and all glories, worthy of delight and joy, we want to embrace his message. To embrace means to, to be eager, to, to hold it tight, to adopt it. Church, we want to embrace his word because it's the message of life. There's there's three aspects that that Paul draws our attention to, not just to think about and pass off and move on to something else, but to embrace. It's regeneration, reconciliation, And justification, those three things are are found here in this text. Regeneration shows up here in, in verse 17 when he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Something amazing happens when we place our life in Christ Jesus. I don't necessarily know how it happens. I can't fully explain it. But when my life and my hope is in Christ, he changes me. My desires are different. My hope's different. I, I speak differently. I have different dreams. I, I view people differently. I view myself differently when my hope is in Christ. My identity is rooted in him. Because of what he has done. I can't deny that anymore. I view people differently. I view people as as either ones I care for and my heart breaks over because they're lost. Or maybe I view them as, I mean, they're, they're different, different ethnicities, different, whatever, like different backgrounds. But they're brothers, they're sisters because of what Christ has done in their life. I view Jesus differently. Before, you view Jesus as maybe foolish or, or, or weak. But now I view him as wisdom. Now I view what he did as the greatest thing ever. As new creations were changed and and everything changes. I I don't know if you've read the confessions of Augustine. But he was was a non-believer. He had a a believing mother who prayed for him often. And and eventually he he surrenders his life to Christ. But prior to that, I mean, he was struggling with sexual sins and just living for the world. And delighting in, in the momentary fleeting things. He comes to know the Lord and his life drastically changes and he shares, this is my version of it, in in the confessions. He's 
traveling down in the town that he lives in and a a woman from his past sees him and calls out, Augustine, Augustine, it's me, it's it's me. And he ignores her and she's like, it's me, it's me, Augustine, it's me. And he finally stops and he turns, yes, but it's no longer I. I'm not who I once was. I'm something different because of Christ. So we have this regeneration but we want to embrace that but embracing that also means we embrace the good news of reconciliation god has reconciled so he says in verse 20 paul writes be reconciled i want to note that that's passive The gospel isn't go fix yourself the gospel isn't do to earn the gospel is be receive reconciliation because of the work God has done. And it's sufficient. We read in Colossians chapter one, verses 21 and 22. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he, Jesus, he, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach before him. So right there you see regeneration, new creature, holy, blameless, above reproach, but you're also seeing reconciliation. You once were this, an enemy, a rebellion, running away, but God has reconciled you through the finished work of Christ, through Jesus. Jesus is the bridge. Jesus is is the mediator. Jesus is the advocate. Jesus is doing these things to bring you back to the most beautiful, awesome, loving God. I heard a pastor once say, a pardon comes through reconciliation. And then he said this, reconciliation leads to a party. Reconciliation comes from a pardon, but it leads to a party. God is drawing us to him. And the only reason we are pardoned is because of the third thing that Paul wants us to embrace here. You see it right here at the very end of our passage where it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul wants you to embrace justification. Through the work of Christ. You're justified. You're counted as not guilty. You're pardoned. And because of that, you can be brought in to God, reconciled. And because of that, you're changed, regenerated. The writer of Galatians, Paul, says in chapter 3, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. You, for it is written, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. Isn't that glorious news? Have you ever stopped to ponder that reality? 
You deserve to be hanging on the tree. But through justification, what you rightfully deserve has been poured out upon Christ. The glorious news of the gospel is not that your sins are forgiven. The glorious news of the gospel is that you get God. All of these things are done to remove the barriers so that you get God. If that doesn't drive you to your knees in humility, you don't know who God is. So as Paul's here kind of summing up some of the the, the key things of the gospel, you might want to take some time to, to ponder, do I have a passion for the nations to be glad in God? Do I have a desire for my friends, my family to find delight in the Lord? Do I want people to be reconciled back to the Lord? And if if you're not having a passion for that, if that seems to be kind of held in, I keep that to myself, it might be because you don't have a gospel worth preaching. You've made the gospel small because you've made God small. I want to say to you, I don't know who you are, but I know that every church, especially with a group of people this big, there's somebody here who has no clue of the joy of the Lord that I'm trying to drive at. You're thinking, God would never want me because of all that I've done or all that's been done to me. He, he obviously has no care for me. And I want to say, all you got to do is look at this cross Look at what he has done for you. He has provided a means to make you new. Well, God doesn't want me because, you know, I'm unworthy. Yeah, you're right, you are. But he has justified you so that he can draw you in and make you new. I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but if if you want to talk about that more, Come pull me aside because I will stay all day long if need be. I know, I know the elders do the same. So if, if you feel like God's, I, he, he wants nothing to do with me, please come talk to me or one of the elders because we would love to help you understand this love, this mercy, this grace that's found through the justification and the reconciliation and the regeneration of of Christ working in you. Church, not only do we want to embrace the message of God, we want to engage his word, excuse me, his world with this message. We are called to engage. The problem, I think, is often churches, we we form these holy huddles. Right, where we gather around and we're brothers and sisters and we're open, it's easy. Of course, you're gonna be fine with what I'm saying because you're a follower of Christ, I'm a follower of Christ. But we're not called to be a holy huddle. I mentioned earlier in this weekend that the, the church, in a lot of ways, functions both as a hospital, a place where healing happens, but you don't stay at a hospital, the hospital sends you back out. But the church is also an outpost. 
You come in, you're fed, you're cared for, you get some rest, but then we're going to send you back out on patrol to go about the work that you've been given, this ministry to engage the world. You, if you are a follower of Christ, old or young, new believer or mature saint of God, it doesn't matter. You have been given the ministry of reconciliation. What a privilege that is. You've been given by God. I don't know why God does this. Why does he pick broken people like me and you to to, to bring this message? I, I don't get it. I don't understand. But isn't that a privileged place? God said, go and make disciples of all nations, right? He's, He's talking to us. Me? Yes, you. But I'm unworthy. Right, because in your weakness, I'm shown as strong. In your limitations, my infinite power is revealed. So we have been given this glorious job to go and and to be ministers of reconciliation. And Paul writes here in verse 11, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. How How are we supposed to go about doing this ministry of reconciliation? We persuade others. I want to note here, this is Paul speaking. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that he doesn't do it through lofty language. He doesn't use eloquent words. He's writing to the Corinthians. The Corinthians loved rhetoric. They would sit and and it was entertainment for them to, to sit and listen to people debate. And they would rate who was better by their rhetoric. Not over whether what, what they were saying was true or not. That didn't really even matter. They were awed by by the way they could use different methods to to push forward their argument. And Paul's saying, it's not about the eloquence. It's not about the rhetoric. It's about the truth. And truth could be said plainly. I mean, we had little kids singing the truth here earlier. We have to understand that God has given us this job to persuade. And by persuade, it's not a sales pitch. He's using that word to say urgent. Implore, verse 20. Appeal, verse 19. Do it with integrity, knowing that God knows your heart. Paul is describing an intense, purposed evangelism, or I'm going to use a made-up word, gospeling. Go and and preach the gospel, but, but live the gospel in your words, in your deeds. Your life should be adorning the gospel, showing the love, the grace, the mercy, the compassion, the forgiveness, the power of God in your life. Are you gospeling? Are you being a good neighbor? Wait, sorry. It sounds like an insurance commercial. I apologize. <laughs> My mind just went. I'm really, really sorry. <laughs> Gotta get on track again. What does it say? I'm really sorry. All I'm thinking is like a good neighbor. <laughs> okay, here we are. Here we go. <laughs> Do you invite people to church? Do you invite them to to your small church? Do Do you invite them into your life, into your living room? We have a glorious message and the world needs to hear it. 
Are you willing to allow yourself to be used so that the God that you love and delight in, the God that you see as awesome and and mighty and, and, and powerful, you're willing to be used so that others would know that good news. We're called to seize every opportunity that's given to us. And let me give you maybe some words of encouragement here. We're called to seize the opportunities God gives us. We're not called to make the opportunities. And you might be surprised how many opportunities God gives you. If you would just take some time to pray, Lord, just use me. Help me to see where you might want me to, to share. Help me to see where you might be opening an avenue for me to, 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 to speak and, and, and uh, you know, be able to, to bring even a piece of truth that they might, they might see the beauty of that and be drawn to you. We're called to engage the world as ambassadors. You know, the ambassador isn't about their priorities and about their desires. The ambassador functions in a way that they put their nation and their king first. We represent the king of kings. Is there anybody better to work for? Perhaps you need to take some time and consider which kingdom am I serving? Am I engaging the world that just propagates more of the world or am I engaging the world that propagates a far greater kingdom? We want others to be reconciled to God. We want others to be brought into the kingdom. We want others to taste and see that he is good. If we will herald the glories of in and out why will we not herald the glories of a far greater thing? And we're also called to engage the world dynamically. And I'm not talking about your power and your ability when I say that. When I say we're called to engage the world dynamically, I'm talking about what Paul is addressing here in verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. God's making his appeal through us. I can implore you. I can try to persuade you, but I can't save you. Only God does that. Our jobs is to just hold out the glory of God through the gospel and trust that he's going to do something mighty with it. Jesus in Matthew 28 says, all power and authority have been given to me. And then he says, I will be with you to the end of the age. If the one with all power and glory is with us, we just go and he works through us. He opens the ears of the deaf so that they might hear the good news. He opens the eyes of the blind so that they would see his glory and delight in him. He brings the dead to life. We just proclaim the truth. What a privilege it is to be a minister of reconciliation, isn't it? What a privilege 
that, that someone like us would be able to go and bring the gospel over here to these people, to this person. This person might even be your spouse. This person might be your child. It might be a coworker. I, I don't know who it is. But God has placed you right where you are, not to just sit back and relax, but to be a minister of reconciliation. You might be surprised what God can do with someone who's just willing to say, here I am, send me. I pray that, that, that we would be so stirred and, and, and often just finding joy in this reality that, that you would use me, I get to be the herald, I get to be the one who, who marches into the city declaring the good news. What? That's amazing. The reality is all of us have a dramatic testimony because we all were dead and he made us alive. Why would we not want other people to know the joy of the Lord? Why would we not want them to be reconciled back? He has given you the ministry of reconciliation. So let us find our joy in the one who saved us. And let that motivate us. Have you heard? I have something awesome to tell you. Have you seen what he's done? I love that the last couple of weeks you've been doing the uh, Ebenezer's. Because when you see how God has worked in someone else's life, even when it's not your own life, you're like, that's amazing. And then you want to tell somebody else, do you know what happened to my friend at church? Do you know what happened to my sister-in-law? Do you know what happened to my coworker? It's not even about you. You're just like, God did this, and then God did that. And, and what you're doing, you're actually being a minister of reconciliation because you're holding before people the glory of God. And I pray that we would find joy in him because when we find joy in him, we will embrace his truth. And when we embrace his truth, we can't keep them to ourselves. And they're going to naturally fall out of our mouth. And they're going to show up in our deeds. And they're going to show up in the actions because we want people to become brothers and sisters in the Lord. And we want to welcome them in and, and say, can you imagine that that God did that for us? I can't. I can't grasp it. I can't imagine it. It doesn't make sense. But I know it. Consider where God has placed you, church. Because wherever that might be, you're an ambassador, a minister of reconciliation. God is going to work through you, making his appeal wherever he has placed you. Let us enjoy and glorify God. Let us embrace his word. But let us also engage his world for his glory and for the good of humanity. Let's pray. Father, Thank you. Thank you for the ministry of reconciliation because apart from it, we would remain dead, defeated, sinful rebellions, destined for destruction. But instead, out of your love and mercy and grace, 
you sent Christ to atone in our place. You counted my sin, our sin against him. You poured out our wrath upon him so that we could be brought back to you. Thank you. Let that never grow dim. Let us never grow tired of that because that's what spurs us because of the joy and love in it and because of the awesome fear, the reverence of of this sovereign God drives us even when we're weary to be faithful to the task. I pray, Lord, for some who might be here who do not know that glorious good news that you would already be working in them. I pray, Lord, also for those of us who do know it. Help us to take the time to meditate on it, to delight in it. Because as we do, you will continue to transform us, to make us new. And as we continue to meditate on, you will continue to draw us closer. We will continue to delight and praise your name. We will desire for the nations to sing of your glorious grace. We pray this all in Jesus, our Lord and Savior's name. Amen. Thank you.